Senator Abel, please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of God for the people of God.
You have died with Christ, and you will be glorified with Christ. There's no doubt about that. Those are statements of that. When you are in Christ, you'll be raised with him. That means you have also died with him. And that also means you will be glorified with him. Those are indicatives. Those are express statements of fact. But then there are imperatives because of that announcement of the gospel. And imperatives are urgent. They're, they're imperative. They're urgent. But they're authoritative commands. See the things that are above. That's an imperative. It's telling you to do something response to that you've been raised with Christ. Okay? And then it's saying the other imperative is set your mind on things above. And I'm also going to bring out a little bit of an imperative of, of keep looking for his appearing. And so for some of you, light bulbs go off with that. Some of you are, I don't care about indicatives and imperatives, but it is this. It is that there is an announcement of what is, and because of that announcement of what is in the gospel, you respond this way. It changes things because of what has been announced, this news. This good news means that I do not continue exactly the same as I was before. This news changes things. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. It's an urgent authoritative command. You see, when Paul is saying these two things that we're going to look at, keep seeking the things that are above, he's not leaving that up to, I hope you guys do this. It's not that. It is an authoritative command from the apostleship given to the apostle Paul from Jesus Christ. He is not saying this as an opinion. He is saying this with authority. It is an imperative because of the gospel that you Colossians and you here today at Grace Harvest Church do this now. Because of this, it is under the authoritative command for you to keep seeking the things above. I want you to hear that one. I want you to hear Bobby's opinion, somebody's opinion. It doesn't come with that choice. It comes with an authoritative command uh, to keep seeking the things above. And the authoritative command continues with set your mind on things above. So I want you to, to begin this with like, okay, this isn't like, you know, I hope I kind of choose this thing. It's coming with apostolic authority. It's coming with the power of the word of scripture. Not this guy up here talking like from Bobby Barnett. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It has to do with the authority that is in the word of God. Is the word of God saying this? Yes. Is it announcing the gospel? Yes. You've died with Christ. You've been risen with Christ. And you will be glorified with Christ. And because of that indicative, that statement, that statement of two facts, I command you now to keep seeking the things above. You see, Colossians 2 was they weren't doing that. They weren't continuing to seek the things above. They started seeking all other kinds of things. And he's challenging that, commanding now that they get back to seeking the things setting their mind in the right places in the things above. Some examples of this gospel announcement uh, begin in Mark chapter 1. This is when Jesus first comes on the scene, first preaching his first sermon. Uh, this is how it's presented in Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, 
proclaiming the gospel of God. It's the first thing he's going to do. It's the first announcement. He's going to proclaim the gospel of God. And here's what he says. He's going to sum up the sermon. But here's how Peter uh, can sum up some sermons he says. The time is fulfilled. This is an announcement. This is a, a, a indicative. He's not stating fact. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now because of that, there is a response. And here's his response. What Jesus presents. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, here's the gospel. Here's the indicative. Now here's the imperative of what I command you to do because of the gospel. Okay? Follow me a little bit? These examples are for Jesus' life. Now, just pressing on a little bit into Mark 2 as Jesus continues to present the gospel. He goes about healing, casting out demons, and living in the power of the gospel. He is the king in the kingdom. He is the king with all dominion, walking, demons flee, sickness, illness, everything. And he comes, and he's about to possibly heal on the Sabbath. And they're chomping at the bits and the Pharisees to uh, trap Jesus in this. Uh, and so Jesus says to them in the summation of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then he makes this profound statement. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. We might not think that's a big statement, a gospel statement, a gospel announcement statement, but it was a huge statement. Because Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. This was his favorite title of himself. And he's saying the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. He's like, this has so many implications that all of the commandments, you're saying the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, are in you, that you're Lord over that. Yeah. Not only is he Lord over that, you know, Jesus says he's, he's you know, Moses was given as a servant in the house, and Jesus is the son in the house. You know, he's the son with all authority. This is a profound gospel announcement. And then he lives out that gospel by healing a man on the Sabbath with a withered hand. Now their response to this, that the Son of Man is this Jesus before him, and he is proving it by this display of the power of the gospel that he is Lord over the Sabbath and he will heal this man on the Sabbath and does. The Pharisees, here's, here's one of the responses to the gospel that we'll see. They have some kind of response, right? Their response is they went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians, which they were mortal enemies. They're helping to put that group together, and they're plotting out to destroy Jesus. That means ruin him, kill him. So the response creates in so my response to the gospel might not be that that uh, offensive, but these were the responses in those days. In Acts 7, another example is Stephen preaches the gospel so profoundly. I exhort you to go read Acts 7, 1 through 53. It's one of the most profound, long, it's not just the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of Japan. I mean, he goes back to the history of Israel. He's preaching the gospel to them. He's carrying the whole counsel of God, laying it on the people of God. And he gets to the point to where he's just completing this announcement of the gospel. 
And when they heard these things, the summation of them, they ground their teeth at him and were enraged. But the gospel produces a response, right? Uh, Jesus says to repent and believe. If you're not going to repent and believe in the gospel, you're going to have some kind of response to it. Right? It's not neutral. It's not, oh, what's that? No, there's, there's a response. There's hearing. When the gospel is announced and preached, there is a, 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 re, a response to it. It's their response as they ground their teeth at Jesus. Then he just further announced the gospel. Just while they're grinding their teeth and enraged, just in the boldness of preaching the gospel, Stephen announces that he sees the heavens open and behold the Son of Man in all of whom he dwells. Announces this good news of where Jesus is. The Son of Man is exalted at the right hand of God, you know, and that enrages them even more. And they don't want to hear it because they they close, they covered their ears. But the blood flooded their ears stormed upon him, drove him out of the city, and stoned him to death. That was their response to the gospel. Oh, that's not the way to know the gospel. They don't respond to the gospel. They don't want to hear it. Exactly. You know, whatever. But they laid their clothes at, at, at the feet of a man named Saul, and he was Saul of Tarsus. He was the first of those who that. Talk about transportation. You know, life. And so, the response to the announcement of the gospel can be varied. Um, maybe we would respond like the rich young ruler. Kind of got it all going on. Uh, Jesus, you know, but I really want eternal life. What can I do? Jesus, with compassion, looked at him. You know, first he just says, well, keep the commandments. You know what to do. I've done all that. Something's still missing in my life. Maybe we're like that. Something's still missing. Here, seeking. Uh, you don't want to. Jesus looking with compassion on those, okay, I'm going to live. I'm going to give it to you. So all you have is a little bit of bread. You have that. Come follow me. We leave sorrowful. Maybe that's our reaction to the gospel. Just leaving sorrowfully like, can't do that. Got too much. Find those stages of sin that keep you that couldn't be even. Still so it's hard to Maybe our reaction to the gospel is that, just walking away sorrow. I want you to just see in that all these places there is an announcement of the gospel, then there is a reaction, there's a response to that gospel. And what the apostle Paul has done here in last week, which we hit very strongly, is there was this gospel announcement that you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, then you have died with Christ. If you've been raised with Die to Christ, you will be glorified. You have Christ. There's this union with Christ that the gospel has brought to you. Statements of fact. But because of these statements of fact, I want you to do something. And I'm commanding you to do something. And here's the first thing keep seeking the things that are above. Seek here is broad. It means like all of your life, with all of your strength, keep pursuing Him. You're in union with him. You have no other life outside of him. You've died with him. You've been raised with him. You will be glorified with him. He's your whole past, now, and future. 
Therefore, put all you've got. Put everything in seeking Him. Seek the things that are above. Your whole life's pursuit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, keep on asking and you will receive. Now, we read that, you know, ask and you shall receive, Matthew 7, 7. Uh, you know, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. But this, this verb form, again, of really the NLT actually translates it for you. It says, keep on asking and you will receive. That's what it's saying. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking in the door. There's this continuous. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He says, seek the things that are above. He's saying uh, in the action of the verb to keep on seeking. Not like one time I sought the Lord and I accepted him over here. You know, that's it. I got my ticket and that's it. No, 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 no. The gospel impacts the whole rest of your life till you're glorified. That is, seek and keep seeking is what the scripture is saying. So it's something that is continuous. I want you to see that. I want you to see that it is seeking uh, things or things that are above where Christ is. It is seeking Christ ultimately and all that he is. He has good things uh, for us. Um, in Matthew 6, Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Those things in that context were what concerned people in their life. Like, I'm concerned about what I eat. I'm concerned about where I get my next meal. I'm concerned about uh, what I have to drink. I want clean water to drink. I want to have clothes to wear. And I show up. These are all things people concern themselves with. But Jesus was saying they're overly concerned with them. And what he was bringing back to them was seek first, keep seeking the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and those things that you're anxious about will be added to you. So get them in the right priority. So in our seeking pursuit, it is a pursuit for Christ and the things above, first and foremost, of God, his kingdom, and of his righteousness. And these other things are added to you. It's a matter of what is the, the pursuit of your life the seeking in your life is for him first. It's for the kingdom first. The Apostle Paul is redirecting them on the most important thing in life. He's established that Christ is the most important thing. I'll do this as I go read Colossians 2 9. In him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and because of that, this is how you live. Uh, Colossians 1, that great hymn that we covered, look at who Christ is. Everything was created and made for him, through him, and all these beautiful explanations uh, of the supremacy of Christ. Of course, this is it. This is your life. This should be the focus of your life. So keep seeking these things that are above with Christ where he is. He is the focal point. He's changed our reality of how we live, why we live, and to whom and for what purpose we live. It's broad, it's everything. It's like you can do nothing without Jesus. You've got to abide in, in Him, you've got to abide in the vine. Without Him, you can do nothing. You've got to keep seeking Him and do everything to Him. Jesus 
Just put them in the first seeking pursuit of your life every morning. When you get up and when you go to bed at night and the whole day in between, make him the pursuit of your life. Now, everything else you're doing is important. But it's secondary to that. Always you keep seeking. You're always fixing your eyes upon him. You're always turning your gaze to him. You're always seeking for him first. Not like that hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You seek him, and your affections for him grow, and the affections for this world grow dim. And I think he's re emphasizing that in this next imperative. It's a command, it is specifically with your thinking. Specific thing, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. And keep seeking and seeking, keep seeking, and he specifically set our mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul said this way to the Philippians, and many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What happened to them? They once walked well, they don't anymore. Because their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. These next ones are what's called. They don't anymore. He says, the end is destruction of God, their belly, their glory is their shame. What's happened with them? Their minds are set on earthly things. This is what's happened. This is what he's warning Colossians. Set your minds on things above. Do not set your mind on earthly things. And to the Philippians, he's saying, their destruction came because they set their mind on earthly things. Then he's going to reshift and refocus them in Philippians 3, in verse 20, saying, Our citizenship is in heaven. He didn't do the same thing. He's shifting the focus to for us, according to our citizenship, where do we belong? Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior. We'll get to that in our last point there, waiting for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. He reshifted the focus from earthly a mindset of earthly things to a mindset of heavenly things. What are the things that hinder uh, us, you know, on this earth? A focus on the things of earth. What are these things? What are these earthly uh, things? They're earthly entanglements. They're worldly attractions. They're fleshly affections. Jesus talked about this in the sower and the seed. His third one, one the devil steals. His word steals the seed of the word of God. The next one, persecution comes, withers, they don't have deep roots. But this third one, uh, that, that the, the, the seed doesn't have to stick through, is it's the cares of this world that come up and they choke out. The things of this world, earthly affections, the, the, the fleshly indulgences, all these things slowly just choke out the word and put it to be in its roots. These are people with their mindset on earthly things. Has given us this power in Him to disengage from the love of the things of this of this earth and these rival uh, pleasures that come, and to shift our pleasure onto Him. Right? Set your mind on things above. Uh, Kent Hughes, in his commentary on uh, this, the, the book of Colossians, says this: 
above and keep tweaking and persistently and continuously in an ongoing effort. Keep doing that. And then he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And he says this, not on earthly things. What is the mind set on earthly things? It is the way we see money. It is the way we see possessions. It is the way we see material things. We hold on to them. We love money. We love our possessions. A mindset on earthly things cannot sell all their possessions and get to the poor. A mindset on possessions builds bigger barns and stores more, not knowing that his soul will be required of him that very night. This is the opposite. This is setting our mind on earthly things. Earthly things can also be earthly honors, earthly positions, earthly advancement, and earthly praise from men rather than the praise from God. It can be living yourself in an earthly mindset that advances itself through lording it over others rather than a humble service towards others. And we can just have that for this side of it. We want to live like that. So we are serving, not lording it over. This is different kinds of mindsets. Mindsets is a focus and a determination on what, for whom, and for whose glory. It's a mindset. And our mindset is to be on Christ and who he is and on things above. His whole way of living in the kingdom. The humble way of service. The humble way of not loving money. Not loving our possessions. Treasuring him. That's a whole reality shift. That's a whole change of our mental thinking, where our affections are, and our heart, and our thinking. It's on Him and His ways. We set our minds above to please God first. He's going to make that clear in the next verse, Colossians 3 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He starts listing what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire which is idolatry. Idolatry is always putting something else in front of God. That's what it is. You put something in front of God. You're not seeking the things above. You're seeking things that are on this earth. You've taken something that is earthly and it might be good that you need, which all, you know, even the way he's blessed us with our sexuality is good. But what you've done is taken it and made it idolatrous. You've turned it into sexual immorality, sexual impurity, sexual passion, or even desire, you've turned it into all these things. Although I meant to bless you with sex, to be enjoyed in marriage, in covenant, in bonds of love for a lifetime, but you've perverted those things. You've taken them out of context. And so all of these things he will get into, and we'll get into more. But I want to move to my third point from uh, these imperatives. Now, in Colossians 3, 4, this final, we keep seeking the things above, we set our mind on things above, and the last one is we anticipate his return. Now, specifically, this isn't formed in that imperative way. It's kind of more announced uh, in the gospel way, this verse in Colossians, this final verse. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's making a statement of but when we look at this in most of the other places in Scripture, even where Paul uh, mentions it in many other places, so even in Philippians, he says uh, that I read earlier, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. 
there's this anticipation, there's this awaiting for a Savior so that we will be glorified with him when he is born. Like he was raised, we will be raised. If he was glorified, we will be glorified. Paul explained that. So we are waiting. So that is in, in a, an imperative form. That is, because he is returning, you look and you wait for him eagerly. This is what he told Timothy, uh, the last, most likely, final words of the Apostle Paul before his life ended in 2 Timothy, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Jesus? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to all who have loved his appearing. He keeps returning. And to the Colossians, he's saying, in Christ, he is your life. He is your whole life. He is everything that you do. And you also appear forever. There's this looking for, there's this, there's this affection towards loving his return. His, your whole life, if your whole life is wrapped up in this, in this one, Jesus, then you're going to love his appearing. Okay? And if it's not, you're not going to necessarily love his appearing. Not only do you not love it, you're not going to eagerly wait for it. Here's what the writer of Hebrews say, says. So Christ, Hebrews 9, 28, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. That was his first time. He appeared and he dealt with sin. That's done. But to do what? But to save those, are you in this group? Who are eagerly waiting for him. So, you know, I, I know I realize that this Colossians thing, Christ who is the life appeared, and you also will appear with him in glory. I just see that there's this imperative we need to be eagerly waiting. Like we need to be seeking him. Our whole life, if he is our life, we need to be setting our minds on him. We need to be eagerly waiting for him. We need to be in our affection. Be, I love your appearing. Apostle Paul said, and all who have loved his appearing, eagerly, eagerly waiting for him in his return. So, now there's power in this, and it's effective with what we talked about earlier. In 1 John 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See how powerful this setting your mind on things above and 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 seeking the things above where Christ is and hoping and eagerly awaiting that hope of his appearing that it has to do with for the now it purifies you it purifies you that that, that the song when you look into his beautiful wonderful face and the things in this verse are strange again your affections change and your affection for this love and the love of your sin is fading this is the defeat of sin. This is how Christians defeat sin. It's not with Colossians 2, the stricter form of legalism. 
Get on. Remember when the moon rises. Set the moon. Keep the festival. Do this. Drink a moon. It's not a more severe form of asceticism. Beat your body. Beat it until it quits. Say no until you say no until you're blue in your face. Say no. Beat yourself with whips in your back. People crawl up mountains with their knees bleeding. That's not going to work either. Ultimate step for perfectionism is to to Christ. He has greater pleasure in Him. He is your whole life. He is everything. Keep seeking Him. Keep setting your mind on Him. Set your mind on His ways, His things. Seek, pursue your whole life. And remember that you will be glorified. You will be awake. Pleasures now in the temporary sinful pleasures that provide pleasure now and in the short term begin to lose their positive value. Because of a greater affection. This is the only thing that ultimately defeats our sin nature. The power over our sin is defeated. He has defeated the penalties. There is therefore now no This is what the apostle is saying. The power of the seal of the knowledge of God. Amen. We're going to take communion together and remember Christ's death until he returns. We remember his body given for us and his blood shed for us. We're going to ask you to come. Believe and trust in the Lord. Your only hope is in His body given for you, His death, His shed blood. You can come and take one of these cups, return to your seat. We'll take these together and we'll pray together.
Jesus wanted us to have something tangible to experience together, to remind us. Oh, 